And so anytime a historical event happens or the uh, uh, anniversary of an historical event takes place, it always catches my attention. Uh, earlier when we celebrated or, or recognized Martin Luther King Day, there was, and, and I know, I can't remember exactly what day it was, where, where the, the day that he was shot, um, but I remember kind of looking at that and having discussions with Zane and Zoe to, to talk about how a nation could get to a place with such racism that it would, it would cause uh, someone to take the life of, an, of another uh, simply because of the color of the skin. And so we had, we had a chance to talk about that. When we look at other events that take place, it causes me to take pause. And um, I wanted to do this on Easter Sunday because Easter Sunday this year fell on April the 15th. And April the 15th is the anniversary of the sinking and the, the, the wreck of the Titanic. And I, 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 I preached, it's been I think five or six years ago that I preached a little bit on the Titanic. And, and when I, I was sitting there before uh, Easter and I knew, you know, hey, you can't preach about the Titanic on Easter. You better preach about, you know, the death, burial, and the resurrection. And then I said, well, that's okay. I'll wait till the next Sunday. And then I forgot Brother McCool was going to be here. And so I, I've now, so I'm a little late to the party. But I want to, I want to just teach for just a moment, not very long, but some lessons that you and I can find that parallel the voyage of the Titanic with our spiritual journey. And uh, I want to do that. So uh, I don't have a ton of Bible verses. We'll hit a few. But there are just absolutely some things that I have seen. And every year when this uh, April 15th rolls around, Every year, it causes me to go back and research it. And invariably, every year, I find something that maybe is new, a new journal that was, that was uh, found or uh, a new artifact that went on, on display. But in 1909, at the Harlan and Wolf shipyard there in Belfast, Ireland, the largest man-made uh, movable object that had ever been created up to that point was slowly beginning to take shape. This was an unprecedented build. Never before had anything of this magnitude ever been uh, tried in 1909. You can imagine what it would have taken in 1909 to build this colossal structure. In fact, during the construction... The construction of, of the Titanic, there were eight deaths that happened during the building and 246 people injured just simply trying to build this. On May the 31st, 1911, so some two years later, the, the hull and the main part of that ship in front of 100,000 onlookers, the Titanic slipped out of its dry dock and was towed to another spot where upon the top they would put those trademark funnels, engines, and interior. They would deck it out, one of the most elaborate ships at that time. On April the 2nd, 1912, the first and the only sea trial of the Titanic was completed. I don't know if you understand this or know this, but any time a ship is built, they have to take it and they have to do the trials. If you follow the news, you will find that we had a little bit of a disappointment or maybe even an embarrassment. The United States military did. There was a new uh, uh, class of of care, or, uh, class of destroyers that went out called the Zoomwalk class. And they were supposed to be top, the just stealthy. They were supposed to be fast. And twice 
when they got them out and they turned the engines on, something happened and they had to get towed hundreds of thousands of miles. It's a little bit embarrassing when you got to tow your warship back to port. But that's why you do the trials so that you would know. However, there is all throughout the lessons of the Titanic, there was a supreme arrogance that is seen. And there were those who built the ship. They said, we don't really need to test this ship out because it's unsinkable. It can do everything. And so the trial of the first you know, uh, uh, time they took the ship out only lasted eight hours and they only went 80 miles. Barely enough to break in the engines, if even that. And they said it was ready for use. And so April the 10th, 1912, the Titanic set from Southampton, England, to New York City, it stopped in Cherbourg, France, and Queentown, Ireland, and it streamed its way towards New York. There it picked up new passengers, famous passengers, and it was there on April the 14th, 1912, that as they began to go at 9 a.m., the captain of the Titanic received this message from Captain Barr. Westbound steamers report bergs, meaning icebergs, growlers, and field ice. That was at 9 a.m. on that uh, April the 14th. At 1.42 in the afternoon, another captain, the Captain Smith, wrote, We have moderate variable winds and fine clear uh, weather since leaving. However, the Greek steamer Athenia reports passing icebergs and large quantities of field ice today. We wish you and the Titanic all the success, Commander. At 1.45 p.m., the America passed two large, uh, which is a ship by the name America, passed two large icebergs. At 9.40 at night, from a ship called the Mesaba. Uh, it wrote to the Titanic and to all of the ships going eastbound. Ice report. We saw heavy pack ice, a great large number of icebergs, field ice. The weather's good and clear. At 11 p.m. on April the 14th, 1912, the Titanic begins to receive a sixth message concerning the ice in the area. And a radio operator by the name of Jax Phillip cuts it off and tells the operator of the other ship to shut up about the ice. 11.40 p.m., Mr. Frederick Fleet, a lookout on the crow's nest at the top of, of what, as high as he could be, sees an iceberg dead ahead. He radios down. He rings the warning bell three times. William Murdoch, the first officer, immediately gives the command to turn the ship hard to the port side. But 37 seconds later, that Titanic grinds against an iceberg, gouging unbeknownst to them many or several large gashes underneath the waterline. On April 15th, as midnight rolls around, on April 15th at 12.15, some 35 minutes after it hits the iceberg, a distress signal is sent out and women and children begin to load into the life rafts. What's so sad is while they shot those uh, distress rockets off at 12.25, the Californian, a ship that was only 11 miles away, saw the distress rockets. Three times they told their captain of the Californian, we see a ship firing rockets. And three times Captain Ford of the California did nothing. He did not even wake up the radio operator to see if anybody 
had a problem. Meanwhile, the Carpathia was 60 miles away and had received the wireless radio transmission from the Titanic and turned toward that doomed ship. But 2.20, not very long after, it struck the iceberg at 11.40. At 2.20, the Titanic slips from view. And at 4 a.m., the Carpathia arrives to pick up shivering survivors. And so I started that to tell you this because there are many times, it always happens around this time, that I'm reminded of some of the things that happened to the demise of the Titanic. And so as we celebrated, uh, uh, what, I think 105 years, I believe it was, from 1912 to 2017, we celebrated that 105th anniversary of one of the modern world's greatest tragedies. This ship that was 882 feet in length and 92 and a half feet wide. A ship that at that moment there was not one expense spared in the grand uh, uh, outfitting of this vessel. In fact, to this day she holds a record that has never yet been conquered. And that is the largest steam engine was in her belly. We may never know exactly how many people were on the Titanic that day. It was the one and only voyage, if you will, somewhere between 2,228 and 2,240 is what they have come to. As that ship began to sink, there were many, many storylines that played out. In the, the office before we came in here, as I was talking to the platform staff and telling them kind of where I was going because I have awesome people who are very spiritual, immediately their mind goes to the movie Titanic and they begin to sing the love song and it was quite interesting in there and then we had to pray them back through so we could come out and worship. And I know that there has been a lot of things that were in that that were true and a lot of things that were made up. But there were stories that went out. Those stories about how they had neglected the the, the all of the warnings that how when the ship hit the iceberg it didn't seem like a bad hit in fact they didn't think anything happened they thought they had glanced off of it but they didn't realize in fact it wasn't until the time that the captain went and looked at the damaged area below that five of those compartments had already begun to fill with salt water in the nose of that ship was beginning to pitch down and Andrews who was one of the, the engineers or builders of the Titanic he did a quick calculation and he estimated at the rate in which the Titanic was filling up that it would be afloat for an hour and a half and so it was that they began to lower the lifeboats What's sad is that the owner in the, the, the line that had the, the, the Titanic, they wanted good pictures and they said the lifeboats took away from the beauty of the ship and so they took out half of the lifeboats so that they could have a better picture and so there were only lifeboats for about half of the people anyway. The problem was as each of those lifeboats were designed to hold 65 people but when that first lifeboat went down in the water only 28 were on it. And it happened over and over again in the confusion, in the chaos. Nearly every boat would be launched woefully underfilled, some with only a few there. Exceeding Andrew's uh, prediction, the Titanic stayed afloat for close to three hours and there are stories of amazing bravery and acts of insane cowardice. Hundreds of human dramas played out in those decks of that boat. And it's there that you see it. But 
we, we, we get to the end where it says only a hundred and seven, uh, only a hundred, only seven hundred and five people survived. Fifteen hundred twenty-three people perished. I researched the Titanic. I, I love, like I said, I love history, and I've watched the documentaries, and I've read and researched it. I was struck by a phrase that was used by the one who discovered the wreck of the Titanic. And in that, this is what he said. He said the Titanic was a voyage of eternity for many. That statement rings true for you and I today. While we may not be on a Titanic, we may not be on a cruise, we may not be on a vessel, but for you and I, each one of us is on a voyage of eternity. Each one of us are moving forward, whether you like it or not, to a judgment day. For 105 years, there's been speculation. For 105 years, there has been science and discussion on why the Titanic sank. This ship that, that was so boldly proclaimed to be unsinkable in so much, and this is, this is not just some meme on the internet, this is true, in so much that one of the builders made this bold claim. Not even God can sink this ship. I'm amazed at life. I'm amazed at how so many that I have seen in my lifetime, they refuse to surrender their life to God. And I have even seen in my own walk, I have seen people that were bold enough to dare God to do something about it. I don't know if you've ever been there. I hope you never do. It's a sad, sad place. But I'm reminded of the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross, you had one on this side and one on the other. You heard me preach about it a little bit on Easter Sunday. The one thief dared the God of heaven to do something about it. You're not God. You're not the Savior. You're not the Messiah. If you were, you would come down off of that cross. The other thief says, oh, oh, oh hold on a second. Can I just tell someone today, perhaps in a little a bit of a warning, that just because God doesn't react right now, doesn't negate tomorrow's judgment. That just because you can look him in the eye or anyone could and dare God to do something and God doesn't jump up and strike you down, I'm telling you, if I was God, there'd be a lot less people in the world. If I was God and I said, thou shalt not lie, and the first time you open your mouth to tell a lie, I'd have the world's biggest taser. <laughs> Can you imagine how that would be? Just knock them off. Just squish their heads and flick them off the earth. But God doesn't do that. And because the trial went okay, because the 80 miles and the 8 hours of being afloat, nothing went wrong. Suddenly we think, well, because God hasn't judged me yet, he won't judge me then. It's the rich young ruler, this mistake. In fact, the greatest quote I found in all of my studies of the Titanic, the greatest quote I have found was the Titanic was a mistake of arrogance. I know we don't like to think about being arrogant with God, but I'm reminded of the rich young ruler, you know, the one that, that the Lord talked about in the Bible, the one that, that, that was doing good, and, and if you will, he was blessed, and he built a barn, and then he built a bigger barn, and he put everything up, and he sat back, and he said, well, I can just, I'm set for life. I don't need to do anything else. I'm there, and 
I, I, I'm, I'm well aware that there's deeper things in that story, but it's just that phrase that happens towards the end of his story where it says that night his soul was required of him. Regardless of anything before, it's that statement that rings in my ears. Tonight, our soul might be required of me. Let me tell you a few things that happened with the Titanic and these mistakes of arrogance. There, there's a lot of different ideas that you can find, but one of the things that I found uh, in, in studying it was that there was a brand new technology that was being used on the Titanic. A pneumatic rivet gun had been invented. Most of us know what a rivet gun is, uh, and, 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 but, but this was brand new to them. It was a massive tool that was able to bring together uh, the hull plates and the steel beams together. It would force steel rivets into pre-drilled holes and it would smash them and pull them and it would, it would sink them together and it held the ship. However, there were a few places this new tool couldn't reach. And so in those places, the builders of the Titanic used Instead of steel rivets, they used cast iron rivets that now that we've gone a hundred and something years by and they've been able to bring some submersibles down there and bring stuff up and see it, they've been able to go back and do some metallurgical testing and they have found that those cast iron rivets were not properly smelted. They contained impurities that made those rivets weak. Would you like to take a guess, Brother Chase? Where the iceberg hit, it hit the, the, the cast iron rivets. You look and you say, oh, what a, what a horrible, tragic coincidence. Maybe so. But I have found in my life that impacts always seem to hit me at my weakest. What does the old adage say? A chain is only as strong as its weakest link. What do you think pops when you try to pull the car out of the ditch and you grab that chain? Can I tell you today, and maybe I'm, I'm telling you a story and just throwing in little Twitter bites, if you will, I don't know, but can I tell you today that living for God has no shortcuts? In fact, I'm amazed. It's, it's those weak and uh, weakly constructed Christians and it becomes dangerous and it's those that don't survive the icebergs. You say, what do you mean? Well, let me give you a perfect example. Let me take you back to Cain and Abel. And, and, and Cain and Abel, regardless of, of what the sacrifice, and we preached about that, but do you remember this? Abel or Cain offered the wrong sacrifice. Later on, we found in other places that the Lord himself said, Cain, why are you so mad? Why are you so angry? Why are you wroth? Don't you know that sin croucheth and it lies at the door? The understanding is it's waiting. Satan is waiting to pounce. Satan, Satan is looking for that weak link, that weak rivet, that weak moment. And it was that, that uh, 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 Cain did not heed the warning. And it was that weak moment of God telling Cain, you did something wrong. Giving Cain an opportunity to repent. But Cain held it in. Bitterness began to grow. And that bitterness was right at the place that would take a brother and cause him to walk out into the field and put a rock upside his other brother's head. And the first murder happened. It was that weak rivet and that impact hit where we least expected. 
in our lives, we better be recognizing and, 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 and understanding where in our life we are weak. Because those are the places the enemy pushes. Samson, Samson, the strongest man in the Bible as far as I can tell. I don't know anybody else that could pick up the gates of a city and carry them off. But there was a weak rivet in his life. Strange women he ought not be, be, be around. And it's not just Delilah, my friend. You can look, he had a couple of them before Delilah. And you know what happened? The first one didn't do any damage. That, that 80 mile, 8 hour travel, it didn't do any damage. So I can push the envelope. The second one came, it, it kind of caused some consternation. But it's that Delilah that all of a sudden that rivet begins to pop. Water begins to rush in. The mistake of arrogance is that cheap material. It's Solomon, I believe. It's, it's, I believe it, it, it's in Proverbs uh, that says it's the small foxes that spoil the vine. Most people don't just, you know, get the Holy Ghost and they've lived for God all their life and then one day they wake up and they go murder somebody or they go commit some atrocious act. Most people don't do that. Most people start from just one small little rivet that wasn't properly constructed and they went a little bit too fast and the iceberg hit them. Not only was it those rivets, but you see that Titanic was designed, it was built with a double hull. It was built with bulkheads. And if you don't know what a bulkhead is, a bulkhead is a place in a ship that, that it, it compartmentalizes the ship. And so if one part of the ship gets a hole in it, they can close that watertight bulkhead off and effectively maybe only that compartment gets water in it and nothing else. It had bulkheads, it had double holes, but there was a design flaw. The builders did not build the bulkheads high enough. If you can imagine, for lack of a better word, this is the only way I can describe it. How many of you have, have you know, that you, you're not blessed with an ice maker, and so you have to fill up the ice uh, trays by yourself, all right? Those of you that have ice makers, I don't like you. I fill them up by hand, or I steal the ice from anywhere I can find it, but... Have you ever filled it up? Because see, I'm, this is how I do it. You know, you got to fill it up, but you got to turn it sideways, right, Brother Keith? And you got to start at one little uh, uh, compartment, and you got to let the water pour over. That's the only way I know how to do it. Exactly. That, that, that is, I mean, when you read the instruction manual, that's what it says. If you can imagine that each of those compartments were a bulkhead. But what happened when the Titanic was they didn't build them high enough and so water rushed into the first bulkhead. But it wasn't high enough and so it rushed over, not through, but over into the second compartment. And it was a chain reaction and it went there. The mistake of arrogance was rushed building and cheap material. The second mistake of arrogance was those ignored warnings. I, my heart grieves. And, and it's easy for us to sit back here and, and armchair quarterback and look at that and say, how in the world, Mr. Titanic, Captain, how in the world could you have five warnings about icebergs and then you could actually cut off the sixth warning and the radio operator ignoring, and here's the reason they ignored the warnings. There were no icebergs where they were. They had clear weather. There was nothing where they were. Why heed the warnings? There are records that, sh that have been written and told that when the iceberg struck the ship, 
that chunks of that iceberg rained down onto the decks of the ship and there were people that would actually pick up the parts of that iceberg that was ultimately going to kill them and they put it in their drinks and they played with the very thing that was going to destroy them. Can I preach a while on that? without having a lot of time to bring you all the back, way back to Noah's day that says even though you haven't seen the rain and even though you've never seen a flood, there is coming a day and it may take some hundred or something years, but you better be ready. Or I could take you to Sodom and Gomorrah's day. I could bring you to knocked on, uh, on the knocking on Lot's door that says you better get out. There are way too many people that ignore the warnings of the time. I've heard it all my life. I have lived in this all my life. My dad has lived in it all of his life. My grandfather has lived in it most of his life. There are warnings that have been passed down. And sometimes us kids, we don't see it. We're still sailing where it's nice and calm. But you need to learn to listen to mom. You need to learn to listen to dad. They've already gone some paths. They've already seen the growlers and the icebergs and the pack ice. And they realize that tomorrow might be the day that the enemy comes. And you better heed the warning. There's reasons they say what they say. There's reasons the Bible opens up and it begins to preach to you and I. There's reasons men of God and women of God stand behind this pulpit and pound this pulpit to warn you. And I'm helping you would do something more than what the, the Titanic did. Listen to the warnings. There is coming a day. There will be a day in which that iceberg is there. You know, here, here's the thing. Those, those weak rivets we would have never known about if they would have heeded the warnings. When we get to heaven, there's going to be a lot of imperfect people in heaven. There's going to be a lot of people, if you will, that were weaker than you were, but they heeded the warnings. When, when, when Paul, and I'm just throwing this out, this is free, I like to say that, it's free, you don't have to pay for this. When Paul said it's good for a man not to touch a woman outside of marriage, those were some warnings that there's a lot of people that are weak in that area. And if you just kind of do what Paul says, you'll get to heaven and you'll still be weak and it'll be okay. But let someone go, I can handle it. It's all right. I, 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 I'm not going to do what other people have done. I can handle the progressing relationship. I can do it. It'll be, it'll be fine. And all of a sudden, pastor gets a call he don't like to get. Because that iceberg knew just where to pop that rivet. Heed the warnings. One of the, for, for over a hundred years, the real reason for the devastating loss of life on the Titanic had been kept secret. Even in some of the first documentaries that were there, I, I didn't really get to see it. In fact, I didn't see it until this year. And I'm, I, I know that sometimes when I find it, it's a little bit outdated. But the understanding was, is that this was something that is very, very new. They found that a, it's always been known that a navigational error was at fault for that initial collision with the iceberg. That somewhere, somehow, they were on the wrong track that brought them a little bit further into where the ice was than what they should have been. It's been something that's been known for a long time. But it was revealed later. The granddaughter of the ship's second officer had this to say. 
if the Titanic would have just stood still, the Titanic would have survived until the rescue ships would have gotten there. No one would have had to die. But it was revealed that the reason this ship sank so quickly was a rash decision made by the owner of the Titanic, J. Bruce Ismay. And when the ship hit that iceberg, he said, we can handle it. Keep going. They were trying to bust a speed record. And that arrogance began to get them. And they said, we can't stop. We don't want to. Let's just keep going. We can do it. This ship won't sink. And because of that, that arrogant uh, push, water flowed more swiftly in. And because they moved forward, the ship sank hours faster than it should have. Brother Perryman, I know you've talked to me about this. I can't remember because I know sometimes you preach and I'm not here, so I don't get to hear every message. I try to listen to them later, but I know you've at least talked to me about the dangers of making a decision when your faith has been shaken. Can I tell you today, sometimes you need to just sit still and let God direct you rather than so bullheadedly rushing ahead realizing that you're going faster, if you will, than God's grace can cover. You know, it's absolutely positively able for you to just push on ahead and get ahead of God. And when you get ahead of God, bad things happen. If you don't believe me, ask Saul. Saul is one of the character studies in the Bible that you could absolutely pin the word arrogant on. I got ahead of God's plan. I got ahead of what God had in store. I want to encourage somebody. Learn patience. If you ever get hit with something in your life that you weren't expecting. Don't just say, I can handle it, I'm good. When that iceberg hits, when the enemy comes in like a flood, when he, that, that enemy is lying at wait, ready to grab a hold of you, and you've been wounded, would you learn to just sit still? Don't make any crazy decisions. Because it's those decisions that doom you so often. God knows where you are. And if nobody else saw those flares go up, God did. And in your life, it's there. Again, I, I go back to Cain. This was Cain's problem. Cain had been wounded. His, his pride had been thumped. And his pride so wounded and him at his weakest point, Satan rushed in and the murder happened. I would tell you today that if, if, if Cain would have just stopped for a moment, and let God have his way. Cain would have found repentance. And that story would have ended far, far differently. It's sad when you look at, at the ending of that Titanic. There was a law in the 1800s that said you didn't have to have a lifeboat for every person. But that was because boats didn't travel as fast and they were dealing with outdated laws and technology was growing faster than the safety regulations and so they had 
didn't have enough lifeboats. And then they had also took a bunch of the lifeboats off anyway. Those lifeboats were only half full. There was a barrier that separated those third class passengers below the decks from those above. They didn't want to mix and it was some racism and some class warfare going on and and the disorganization and the craziness and the chaos of that sinking ship no one bothered to check to see if those gates were opened or those barriers removed and so it was that in the first class or you know those that were rich 191 men were lost 11 women and children lost in the second class 142 men were lost 24 women and children were lost but in that third class 417 men were lost 119 women and children were lost and of the crew 682 lost men three women crew lost can I tell you today that even though it's history there's a warning that you and I can grab hold of that there's coming a day we read it this morning that that the world is going to throw its trials and it's going to throw its tribulations, but it's okay. Be of good cheer. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Icebergs are present. Growlers are present. Float packing ice is present. But what you have to do is you have to let the presence and the power of God Almighty gird up your ship. you got to listen to the warnings of those that have gone before us. Listen to the warnings that tell us where the danger is. And we've got to make that journey. And if you do, you'll put that ship into the other side of that port. You'll be able to get off and you'll be able to hear the captain of all say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. I want us just to stand a moment. I know a little bit differently than how I preach, but I want you to let that warning ring in your ears. Those things we talked about. And as we just begin to sing for just a moment, whether you come to the front or right where you stand, I want you to, I want you to get honest with God. I want, you to, I want you to take inventory of your life. Where is it in your life that you're weak? Where is it in your life is there some construction that, that needs to go back and have some repairs? Where is it that you have been lax and neglect to hear the word of God? I wonder if you could just begin to talk to him right now in the precious name For of Jesus. Would you let this be your prayer?